The opinions expressed on this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments or solutions may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. Securities offered through Kestra Investment Services, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Kestra Advisory Services, LLC, an affiliate of Kestra IS. Kestra IS and Kestra AS are not affiliated with any entity herein. Welcome to the Business Owner's Blueprint Podcast, where money is serious business, but not a soporific echo chamber like the rest. This is a show for business owners who want to build wealth and make wise financial decisions starting now. So put away your money show preconceptions and prepare to propel your knowledge and take some action. Here's your host. Peter Huminski. Hello and welcome to the Business Owners Blueprint. I am your host, Peter Huminski. Um, and with me today on the podcast, I have uh, David Lentz, the Director of Investments here at Thorium Wealth, and our good friend, Arun Chopra from Fusion Point Capital. Um, we figured it'd be a good time being that it's now December, uh, November 1st, we're well into the fourth quarter and about a year from next year's elections to have a conversation around stocks and just kind of the general economy and what things are doing and what we're seeing, um, and, um, get Arun's thoughts on all of that. So with that, um, Arun, I'll let you introduce yourself to the listeners who maybe haven't heard you on prior podcasts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hi, guys. Uh, my name is Arun Chopra. I'm, uh, I run Fusion Point Capital. We do a lot of research for advisors, investors, uh, for myself, of course, things like that. And I think it's our second podcast. So, you know, it's pretty much a perfect time, I think, to look at everything. Last last time we were probably heading into, you know, what's been a really mixed market for the last few years. And now it feels a little bit, you know, obviously things have changed a bit and it's probably a perfect time to kind of catch up. So, yeah, uh, I'm happy to be here and, uh, you know, happy to have a good conversation about everything. Perfect. Uh, and I am David Lentz, Director of Investments, uh, handle execution and market outlook with Thorium Wealth, and uh, certainly glad to uh, collaborate and talk with you, Arun, today. Yeah, absolutely. So, let's, Definitely. I mean... We see a lot of this headline risks, especially with things like impeachment proceedings possibly moving forward. And and we're not big on trading headlines per se. I mean, that's not it's never been a good philosophy um, for long term success investing wise, because there's so many head fakes that come along with different headline risks that happen. But it is a real possibility that. Trump gets impeached and one of two things happens, either nothing at all and the economy just continues mm -hmm. to operate or the other side of it is the economy gets really skittish and the market gets really skittish and more risk gets reintroduced into the, the, the stock market. And so my, I guess my question here on this is, what do you currently see as the big risks to the market right now? Yeah, well, and I think it, it is an interesting point because it's, 
you know, the headline stuff is always challenging. I'm always kind of putting out jokes that, you know, people who trade headlines, the equity curve over time just really accelerates to the downside because by the time you figure out one headline and how it operates, you'll get the same headline and the market goes the other way. And so that's obviously the bigger risk. And I think with impeachment, you know, you see people nowadays who will, you know, we're kind of in this statistical world where everybody will look and say, what were the last times this happened and what mm -hmm. happened? And, right. you know, with impeachment, you, know, you just get this pure 50-50 situation. You know, you get Nixon or Clinton and you have opposite outcomes. And what's really more interesting about those outcomes is if you look at 73, that's one of the most historic sort of tops prior to the 74 bear. And then you look in the 90s and you have this, you know, dot com and, and bubble. And so there's a part of me that always feels that the cycle is more important. Um, there's the underlying qualitative discussion of, you know, how likely are these things to really matter? Because, you know, is it going to happen in the Senate? Is anything going to change? But you never know where the market fully is. I, I like to think about this in terms of tweets prior to the election in 16, when biotech would get hit all the time until one day the tweets just didn't matter anymore because you realize that, okay, there's only so much that this can even have an impact on policy going forward. And, and in this case, the impeachment piece of it, I think, you know, as of now, it feels as though the Senate's really not going to do much on it no matter what. And so I think if that were to change, that would probably change my calculus on the headlines of, of particularly that. And, and what I've seen, at least since December, every time something has come up, whether it be impeachment or whether it be any sort of political headline, is that you get these sharps pull, you know, draws down, drawdowns. And, and what happens is the bears just spike to levels that we normally see at material lows, not even a short term five or six percent low. And so I think what we're seeing is this cycle that's trying to look through everything, whether it's semiconductors, whether it's, you know, the December 18 low. And we are, you know, having to deal with those shorter term headlines. But as of now, you know, and, and for the people I and I know on the trading side, I'll tell you just, in, you know, in terms of what I've seen, I've seen more of the earlier stage traders who are really selling out aggressive into the lows of those moves. And what that tells me is that they are, you know, overweighting the near term risks and underweighting under mis not really understanding kind of the strength of what we've seen yeah. since December. And so, you know, it's a challenge. It's definitely. And the higher you get in the market, the more of a the more those headline risks become real again. But I, but I, so far, I've seen almost every time we've gotten one, you know, you get a quick washout and it's kind of over. And it, it really feels like that wall of worry is now playing out now that we've kind of broken out in the last, you know, month. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and in fact, what's interesting is, you know, from the standpoint of, again, you know, having done this long enough and going through not only December 18, but let's call the debt downgrade or 16 or even 98, I mean, you see stats in those declines where you know coming out it's just very hard to sell the market lower because you've had a big flush and watching these under the surface rotations and still money hiding in staples and things like that that's fine but having watched all that you, you can see how you get to this phase and suddenly everybody's been so frenzied by the news that they look up and say wait a minute you know the market's actually at new highs and where can we go to sort of get exposure which in the long run, if the cycle's okay, that's still a fine time to be. And there's plenty of, there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, now is a time to be cautious. Maybe not because of the headlines, but because of what we saw in December of last year. But I think now for the first time in the last two weeks, you're starting to feel that people said, wait a minute, maybe that was a wall of worry. And it wasn't, you know, 
a bigger thing. And so it, it is hard though, because you know, you, you know, politicians in general, as markets go higher, they feel more free to say what they want. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I do worry about that. But but again, as of now, you know, provide. I'll tell you the June low of this year and somewhat of the August low this year, I saw the same scenario, which is the people who got flushed out at the lows were were earlier stage traders and the bear levels were in the 40s, which, you know, is remarkable. I don't remember seeing that. Normally you get a December spike and, you know, you get some bears, but it tends to, you know, VIX hit 24 a couple times, I think post-December mm-hmm. so yeah it, yeah and it, it's interesting because the what was it was it um institutional bearishness but essentially recently there was or institutional bulls was at like 23 percent, which is lower than the 2002 low lower than the 09 low i mean even just this you know say last three or four weeks the bullishness on call it big money is still very, very low. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you can see it in the data and you can see it in the positioning too, where, you know, staples and utilities have held up even, they've had great runs, of course, but I, I remember in 18 when they bottomed in Q1, Q2, and you know, you get three or 4% dividend yields and 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 they're, they're kind of testing these weekly levels and now it's just the opposite scenario. And certainly they have outperformed, but at some point you wonder, you know, how long, and, and that is a reflection of, I believe the other side of that coin, the institutional bearishness side and under, you know, I'll tell you just a stat from December 18, which I remember seeing a couple a month after, but I, one of the new high, new lows indexes was the second largest, uh, lowest reading second only to the, the, uh, financial crisis. And the, the other one prior to that was the 98 low, mm-hmm. which is what actually led into 99. So, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I think that, I think this, and you know, you can look at a Winnebago or Thor, or any of these names that are in these cyclical spaces. I mean, they were down 80, 60 to 80% in some cases, and you didn't need a recession to confirm that. You just needed nothing to happen for those to bounce. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and I think it's fair to say that we don't know, but it's a lot better having that institutional piece. And even if you imagine where they are, think of where, you know, people are in general, there's, there's definitely an under allocation piece to the market that would be supportive, I think, you know. One other thing I'll just add to that, which I find interesting. I I, I kind of like to see things symmetrical, if you will. And if, if you mm-hmm. kind of look at how the market topped in January, February 2015, and it didn't fully break out till November, December of 16. So call it 21, yep. 22 months. It's been about that mm-hmm. same exact time since we peaked in January of 18. It's been almost yeah. 20, 21 months, 22 months, somewhere in that window where, you know, it's gone sideways at best and maybe a little bit up. But, you know, it's kind of interesting, you know, how the markets tend to sometimes repeat themselves on a, on a time frame basis as well as price Absolutely. basis. Absolutely. I think time is a, a lost. You know, we think of markets as up or down and the sideways component is not always, you know, fully respected, I guess, but part of that is in, in time. And I think you can tie that back to the way cycles and monetary policy plays in. I mean, you know, one of the early lessons I got was not understanding the lag of mo- monetary policy and, you know, in the OO cycle in particular, but it did happen in 07 too. But, you know, I, I recall in the dot com where I, I believe Greenspan cut 75 basis points intra meeting in a January 
maybe of 01, if I, if I recall correctly, but somewhere along the way, and the markets just kept falling. And so there is a component of when does this stuff actually impact? And in this case, it feels as though, you know, even the balance sheet contracting last year or in October, it took a year for that to filter through to December 18's declines. When you saw a lot of the momentum stocks, even NVIDIA is still well below that high prior to that. But I think the other side of that coin is we've known all year that they were going to relent on both the front end and the back end. And it just takes time. And, and again, we don't know, but I, but I do feel as though that's part of what the message is, is that, you know, and, and, and I can, you know, I think we've seen, but whether it's Taiwan or certain places where the ISMs haven't been as hit uh, and are, are rising again, that's the piece of time that plays in where, you know, if you can, I was just looking at some of the cyclical numbers on single stocks, you know, this week is reporting and it's like the longer that they stay kind of sideways to stagnant is the longer the cycle has sort of time to, to move forward. And, and you see that in technicals, right? Whether the market's bouncing out of a low, if this was 08, breath would have never recovered and we would have probably already been getting back near that December low by now. So I think time is a very big thing. That's well, where the I, weekly I, charts, I believe, come into. I tend to agree with that. It's, it's interesting looking at it. I'm I'm hearing more fear and concern, or continued, or a increase in fear and concern from investors and other folks out there. Even though, if you look at the economic data, you have, I mean, job number for October was was 128,000, like 40,000 more than expected. Um, they revised up September's number mm-hmm. to 180, which was another 40,000 plus jobs over what it was the prior month or w- over the announced data. And then mm-hmm. August was revised up as well um, to 219. So it, it doesn't right. feel to me, and I know, you know, you don't like to go by feel, but um, some of this is a feel thing. The economy still feels like it's strong and getting stronger, even with the trade issues out there and manufacturing slowing down a little bit. It still feels to me that the economy Mm -hmm. is continuing to do well and continuing to make progress. But at the same time, there's a level of pessimism that I can't wrap my head around because we're going into the seasonally good period for the market from, you know, you know, October through end of April, beginning of May is generally the best six months for the market. Most years. It's just funny. There's, there's, there's peak bearishness going Mm -hmm. into peak seasonality coming up, peak forward seasonality, you know? And I guess the big, who's going to win is the big question, I guess. Yeah. 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 I, I, well, and I, and I think part of the thing is we've, we've all been looking at it in terms of outcomes of like all or nothing. And I think part of that is a phenomenon of post the financial crisis. You know, I, I joke that it's like pre-financial crisis. It was like stocks up bullish stocks down bearish. And now it's like stocks up bearish stocks down bearish. And so I think that, I, I think that, you know, we haven't seen, data come in kind of like, you know, the, the, the curve did invert on the threes, you know, three month basis, 10 minus three months. But like at the same time, tens and twos didn't. There's a lot here when you look at past cycles, it is not the same. And one of my guiding principles is certainly, you know, people don't recognize, I think that the Fed had moved to six plus percent in both other cycles. 
you know, those are really sort of market crushing interest rates. And I, you know, you never want to be the one to say, well, rates are low, therefore there's no, no risk. But I do think when you add it all up and look at sentiment and, and part of it is a reflection of, I personally believe just kind of the news flow, how we generate news today, whether it's in our politics or our own lives, we all see it in social media or things like that. Things go viral very easily and narratives pick up and it doesn't surprise me to see, you know, these unique factors of, of emotion that may or may not be perfectly relevant. I mean, how many people are really doing the underlying work on each stock and want the risk? I mean, whether it's the jobs numbers, I was looking at the top lines for many cyclicals that are trading at some serious lows, even historically, and they haven't budged. I mean, maybe down 4% here. I I have a name that had a 20% decline in revenue year over year. The stock's well off the lows of December last year and didn't even budge on earnings. And so, you know, again, it, as you said, it is a feel thing. And you also never want to be the one to be like, well, the stock didn't respond to those bad earnings. Therefore, there's no risk. But I think there's enough here to say it's a little bit different than what particularly the majority has been saying for some time. Um, and, you know, and, is, and yeah, and then you add in season out. I mean, for me, if I were aggressively short or things like that or saying that there's a big recession coming like that, I would be more what would bother me from a market perspective and price and all that is that you're not seeing it in the breath data and you're not getting those rollovers that you need. And in some cases, you already price that in in a lot of those stocks. Again, I go back to Winnebago because it's the easiest, but I believe at $20 at the low, you know, I moved to 40 in the first two months or three months out of the December low. And now it's in the 50s and 60s. It's a different equation now. But but you're you're trying to look at what were people thinking at that point. And you could see that they it's a it's an all or nothing guilty until presumed sort of innocent type of deal, you know, and, and that's just, I feel particularly related even to 08. Um, you know, we're human and we get, we get stuck on those things. And, and, and I think also on top of that, the market returns have not reflected into the general economic sort of social well being, And that's just the nature of sort of the system I think that we're in. And I think that helps drive the overall pessimism on any piece of bad news. Can you comment in any way to the Fed not QE that's been going on recently with the repo and the amount of injection, mm-hmm. you know, that they have put into it? And, you know, the, the, the adage is don't fight the Fed. And that's been certainly true, um, really, since the 09 bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, you would think that this could also provide somewhat of a of a backstop uh, to any sort of, you know, serious decline. I, I can't quantify what that would be, but maybe nothing again like the December uh, washout. Um, if if there is that sort of uh, liquidity injection, right. the Fed not QE, as Jerome Powell said. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah the, the QE that is not QE. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, you know, for me, as somebody who really tries to stay open-minded throughout this and and having seen, I, I think part of this is having seen just different effects. I mean, I, 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 you know, I was a kid, but I remember 98 and I remember, you know, how quickly things turned. And then, of course, 99 and 2000, where you think the world can't ever go bad and it goes tremendously bad. And, you know, in many cases, 07 came out of the blue Although housing was declining for a long period of time, there was no big market melt up in other spaces, maybe in energy a bit. So I think when you look 
past some of this stuff, we're always trying to say, well, what are the, the bigger risks? And the balance sheet certainly filtered through in 18. And I always felt earlier in the year they should have done more anyways. So I wanted the Fed to go 50. Not, not because, again, not because this is the way to fix the economy and all these other things. But if you're talking about not, if you're talking about a soft landing in the financial markets, you're talking about not raising too, I, I could argue very aggressively that they just moved too far too fast right away on the front end. Even though we had credit buildups by going to six and a half percent in under 18 months, it was lights out. And so I think that they should have done more in the beginning of the year. I think there's still that risk that they didn't do enough because, you know, the duration of the yield curve inversion was quite aggressive, even though we're out of that now. it's it That's in the back of my mind. Um, and I think when you look forward kind of at, at this not QE, QE, outside of what is driving it, which we won't know for some time, I, I think regulatory is still a fair thing. There's a treasury issuance which plays in. I think in the big picture, this was something that, you know, you see the dollar, we're trying that that's been a big issue. So I think they needed to do more anyways, especially when Japan and Europe have already gone that direction. Um, you know, you see the balance sheet back over four trillion and it certainly puts, you know, you back on this sort of here we are. But I don't I wasn't in the camp that believed that they would ever take it down to two and a half trillion or anything like that. I mean, there's no the concept of normalizing is to me, you know, when I. I also think as long as GDP is continuing to grow mm -hmm. and I mean, people talk about debts and deficits and all those sorts of things. And I, yeah, I mean, we can't, we don't want it to grow at a, at a pace that is unsustainable. Mm -hmm. um, but when you look at it from a percent to GDP basis, right. It's right. not growing as rapidly as it was, you know, four years, five years, six years, seven years ago. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, it's, I mean, as in most businesses, you know, growth solves most problems as long as yeah. the margins are good. Right, right. Um, I almost feel the same way here. As long as we continue to grow at a at a steady enough pace, we will we will outrun the problem and still be the biggest. Well. I, the ugliest or the best house in the ugliest neighborhood, if you will. Yeah, well, I I mean, I I think that's where dollar bears have kind of been thrown off, right? I mean, that that if you had said that these would be the numbers, what would it look like? Um, and it's a relative game, and then there's an absolute game against you know your overall cost of living. But I I come at this from sort of two different lifetimes, I think, because you know I remember being a very big precious metal bull in the OO after the dot com and it worked fine, but it also opened my eyes later on to see that not all of the macro and the fiscal is the end of the world because you think about the changes in technology since then. I mean, I remember the dot com thinking, okay, technology wants to crash and never come back. It was over. And look at where we are today. Not just the stocks. I mean the products right. and the in innovation. You know and so that's not built into those numbers. But at the same time, I've seen it when, you know, you get these deep economic cycles to the downside where technology gets put on hold, too. That's not to say go buy every IPO and all those other things that innovation is the cure all. But I think there's a very important qualitative discussion around what is growth and what is, you know, debt and deficits and currency values and fiat and what is, you know, innovation and how does that affect our lives in the big cycle stuff. And and. That, I think, has also thrown people off here, which is they still haven't fully come to terms with where 
some of these large cap tech names are and why they're there more so than where they are. Speaking about the dollar, um, you can tell emerging markets have lagged. Um, certain international sectors have lagged. Do you have any preference or do you see there being a relative benefit to international versus the U.S. on a go-forward basis or to start or to start looking international again? Yeah. I, yeah, I think it's it's funny because this is kind of where I sort of start to diverge from even just like the old traditional analysis, which is that the more you look at this stuff, it's amazing how inversely correlated it is just to the dollar. And, you know, as much as I understand and have done all, you know, whether it's you're looking at single credits or single stocks in these emerging markets and you do the work on it, they've been cheap, whether it's Europe or, you know, Asia or anywhere for a very long time. You know, the ratio charts on a valuation basis, on a price basis. So when would it have been time? And you could have made the argument any time in the last you know, two years. And I think part of the reason they haven't worked is just the dollar. That's it. And it's like, if you look and say, well, the balance sheet has driven the dollar, which has affected you. It's that macro connection that is really weighed heavy. Hopefully that is changing. And I think if it is, it's then changing at a time when you see certain companies. I mean, I, I was looking at some stuff out of Asia, even in the auto space and things like that. And they're as cheap as they've ever been, you know, over decades. And so I think all of that ties in because it's not only that they get so cheap, but the Fed is also worried about the dollar and somehow it all ties back. Uh, I do think I do think that that is I look at it this way rather than worrying about, you know, all or nothing type of stuff. I think it's from a longer term perspective. What would you be waiting for on the EM and particularly your side? You know, um, that that's kind of where you know, my heart is at least with it. And, and for the most part, if you look at the weekly charts on the EM stuff, I mean, it, it, they basically just gone nowhere. They haven't, you know, I just remember when everybody dove in, I think it was two years ago after the big rallies, but the rally started in like 16 out of a very quiet sort of bottom that no one cared about. And so again, you're on some level, you're trying to time the dollar. But if you look through that and say, okay, the dollar itself is always going to go up and down and up and down. You can look 30 years, there's a range on it. Um, what is going to happen to these EM stocks? I, I would have to imagine, you know, these valuations over time, particularly relative to the U.S. Uh, and the only question becomes, is it a two-year type of deal or is it a five-year type of deal? Um, you know, and I think we've moved that window up because of the relative stuff. I think it wouldn't surprise me if they are the outperformers in the next year even. Um, but certainly, certainly that's where a lot of, a lot of my focus is, that there's no question. So in turn, would you also suggest, well, not suggest, but would you also think that uh, materials, commodities, things like that might finally uh, show up? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's funny. I was listening to everybody on different shows. The over the, I was at a long drive the other day. I was just listening to people on, you know, when you're not seeing the visual and, or the charts, and you're just hearing what people are thinking. And there was this very large sort of back and forth thing about where we are in the economy and you know, it becomes a general discussion, but then there was a very s smart sort of conversation of valuations and, and positioning. And so it goes back to being underweight and then having things be at, you know, some form of longer term lows. The only other work I think that goes into that is if you presume, so you could, you could 
overlay a recession on top of these stocks and then, you know, assume the declines in operations even and multiples. And it's a tricky game because sales can fall and the multiple can fall. Even if the multiple is where you normally trough, the question is what's going to happen to sales. And so, but it works both ways, which is that if sales don't decline, suddenly the multiple has to catch up and something, and there's growth. Say there's growth. Now you're playing a very, and that's where these V bottoms come from. And I think that's really what we are. I mean, I think we're setting up for that. But when you look at the top lines on some of these companies, particularly in the autos and things like that, um, if you're not careful and all the banks get back, central banks get back into gear and there is some form of growth. And you could look at Taiwan as a good example. If you look at, you know, their manufacturing and exports that didn't really decline and started to come back. And that chart has just taken off. Um, and it's offset then by things like Korea, where you see big declines still in exports. And so, yeah, I, I think I do. I mean, I, I I am more inclined to think that. And you could look even just in the last 24 hours, you know, X reported and I didn't see all the numbers. I don't think it was a great number, but it was up five or you know six percent today. You're talking about and U.S. So, steel, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do. And again, the problem here, too, is it all comes down to the dollar as well. When you do all the work on it, you're like, you know, if the dollar cools off, absolutely. Um, and it, fl it flows into everything. Cliffs, you know, steel dynamics, all those names. Um, but but this has been a unique cycle. You look at the CRB and you look and look at where unemployment is. And we know there's inflation in our lives. But in terms of financial market conversation, it still looks like the CRB wants to break. It's like 1970 support level, you know, and you're just shaking your head as to when that's going to change. I think the balance sheet plays into that. And I think this I can tell at least the Fed moving is more important. And that may be what this third cut is about, you know, to some extent. It's more about the curve. It's more about the dollar. It's more about getting on pace. And Powell has mentioned that. Powell, two cycle or two meetings ago, I believe, talked about how Europe and these places were way ahead of them and how that plays in. So that's kind of the bet. And I don't think, at the very least, you're not making it when these things are trading, you know, 30% ago. Makes sense. So, um, I mean, I think as we head into 2020, which is definitely going to be an interesting year. I mean, just historically mm -hmm. election re-election years are choppy at best, flat at worst, kind of. I mean, we don't see we usually don't pull right. double digit years out of out of re-election years, regardless of who is in office. Right. And thankfully we're gonna break the streak, it looks like, of not having what was I forgot what the number was, but six not having a twenty percent year within a six year window. Um, we hadn't if we didn't hit twenty percent this year, we were going to go six year more than six years for the first time in the history of the markets, and it looks like we're going to hit twenty percent. I mean, um, barring anything unforeseen in the final two months here, um, mm -hmm. that sets up going into this next election to be a really, really interesting year for the markets. Um, I mean, it'll be year 11 of the bull market. Mm -hmm. um, so we're already at the longest bull market in history. Yeah. yeah it, <laughs> I mean, with no real signs of it stopping. I mean, I mean, today's jobs numbers just show you that the economy is still strong. Yeah. And so, my my statement, I guess, is there are reasons to be nervous, 
but I don't think there are reasons to be scared. Yeah. I, I, you know, the election thing is hard. There's no question that it, you know, this has been building for how long, you know, we could go through politics and election after election and even, even Trump winning. A lot of people didn't see coming and the markets just skyrocketed off of that. If you think back to the futures market that night, it was down a thousand points, I think. And that's from that moment on, right. We've just rallied. And, and I don't think that it was a huge, where I look at the social, you know, piece of the country, everything, whether it's social, whether it's, I mean, his stump speeches back then, those were the things that were resonating. And there's no question that there is real, you know, there's a big difference between the market and the real economy. And I think that that does create some, you know, problems when you're analyzing it just directly from where is inflation and where are these numbers. But even without that, if I were to remove all that, it, if I were, you know, having gone through tops and again, having been hurt by them as well, and then being managing well through one, you know, learning along the way, it's just hard to see a scenario when, when you just don't have the breath numbers, you don't have the, the rate pieces. And so again, I, I just, that I think is a perfect way to say it, which is in terms of scared versus, you know, what's the alternative. It's not about being extremely bullish or extremely bearish at all times. And there's many ways to manage through that. And, and, and that's where I think, that's where I think that the sort of, why this has been challenging for certain people if you can not even outperform in this but keep your head through it which is you know people who moved into staples and utilities have done well now i think they have a bigger decision to be made yeah they probably have a bigger risk yeah yeah uh, I, I think they have they're the ones who are kind of like okay what's next for for that position because it's not risk-free in a recession you know right so mm-hmm. but I, but i do think i do think that this is all a piece of it which is how you know, how do you navigate it? And that may be part of what the challenge is, is that people want, you know, binary thinking is, you know, up and down is how you get paid for the most part. And so that leads into this. And, and whereas, you know, I, the, the two year hit almost hit 3%. And at, at one point when it was at 294, I believe, it just made a ton of sense to move out of stocks, particularly things that were trading at 10 to 15 times sales, no matter the growth rates. So a lot of them weren't making money, probably still aren't. And it just made a ton of sense to huddle into that two year at 3%. I mean, it just made it. Now you ask that question. And again, this is not the end all be all model, but but you can see at the margin where those issues were. And I, and I think if the Fed had gone further or if the two year had moved above 3%, you know, December 18 would be, we'd be looking up at that. Um, but I think some of that did change. And so that's kind of where we sit now, which is, you know, we're looking ahead and saying, yeah, I mean, the they're, headline risk will never go away. So, you know, and, 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 I, and do, do we think that there will be, we've seen gridlock, we've seen sweeps, we've seen all this stuff. And in the most part, even in this cycle, it really hasn't hit the market. So I, it's very hard to handicap going into the election piece of it. And you're right, seasonality is, really mixed in those seasons but i still think there's opportunities out there you know particularly because of how everybody had positioned since december 18. well i think that's a good spot to kind of wrap our conversation up and as we head into the holidays and into the end of the year i mean i think things are still are positive it's not time to i don't think it's time to head for the hills it's not 
the game's not over. It's not time to pack it in yet. I don't, at least I don't feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think you do either. And so I think as we look at going forward, it's let's be cautious, but still um, focused on the the positive numbers in the in the markets and the economy are still going to be the driver, regardless of what the headlines say. Um, let's analyze the data because that's what's going to really ultimately decide. It's not going to be any of these other things. Yeah, I, I you know, I I love what you guys are doing in, in terms of wealth management. In you know, it, my heart is in that space. I don't do as much of it holistically now, but you know, I, I look at it from that standpoint too, which is. You know where where if if time kind of helps you look at these things differently. I mean, if this was our first merry-go-round with elections or something, it might take all the precedent in our in our heads about it. But I do think that when you look through some of it, it's would you want to own some of these things over the course of you know within your allocations, of course, within your own stuff. That's that's the bigger issue. But I think the I think the internet and all these places don't do that, right? It's just yes or no up or down, crash or bubble. And there's not this bigger conversation of like, okay, these things are going to be here and how do we think about it constructively and what are the opportunities? And I, and I feel that there's stuff there that at the very least, you'll look back and say, what was that election even about? I don't know where financials were trading. I can't remember back in 16, but they haven't been expensive. You look at home builders this year, obviously they've run now, but I think when those things come out, they're born out of situations like this where there is going to always be some uncertainty. It's how do you filter the right clarity for for yourself in the bigger picture? So completely agree with that. So I appreciate your time again, Arun. Um, you you spend a lot more time looking at the charts and the technical side of things than we do on a day to day basis, and kind of have a different different perspective and a different viewpoint. We have a much more long term big picture yep. thesis around things. And it's always good to, to get your insights. So appreciate your time. Um, yeah. And until next time, um, if you are finding us for the first time and enjoying it, be sure to subscribe on whatever service you listen to your podcast through. Um, I won't go through all of them because there's like a million of them now, uh, but we're found just about everywhere. Um, and until next time, I'm your host, Peter Yeminski, and this is the Business Owner's Blueprint. Thanks for listening to the Business Owner's Blueprint, hosted by Peter Huminski. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app to catch future episodes. Please remember... The opinions expressed on this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments or solutions may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. Securities offered through Castra Investment Services, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Castra Advisory Services, LLC, and affiliate of Castra IS. Castra IS and Castra AS are not affiliated with any entity herein.